Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Jim Huffman, the CEO of Growth Hit, a growth marketing consultancy that's generated over $250 million in sales for clients. Jim is also the co-founder of One Day Design, a boutique web design company, and Handsome Chaos, a retailer that sells hair products for men. In addition to running these three brands, Jim is also the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Growth Marketer's Playbook. On this episode, we talk about his brands, setting realistic goals, web design, hosting his own podcast called If I Was Starting Today, and much more. Here's our interview now. Jim, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Awesome, Alex. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Awesome. We're happy to have you on. So why don't you start us off with telling us a bit about your company, Growth Hit? Yeah, the accidental agency owner, right? So um, Growth Hit is a growth marketing agency. We're a boutique firm. We're like 30 plus people where we love working with e-commerce companies that are post-product market fit, but really want to go grow from selling hundreds of products to thousands of products. So we do growth strategy, we do ads, we do conversion rate optimization optimization, email marketing, trying to be that plug and play growth team. And we've, we've worked, we've set up growth programs now for like 150 companies. That's impressive. So, you know, at Growth Hit, I saw that you have what you call a five-step growth process to essentially maximize a brand's potential. Can you tell us a bit about what that process looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's interesting. We, we've seen some great successes. We've had three companies get acquired by private equity this year. We've had four raise over 50 million bucks. But on the flip side, we've seen companies epically fail. And so we're like, okay, what's the difference between the ones that go up and to the right versus the ones that just flatline? So we're, we're data nerds. We got into the data. And after like synthesizing it, we, we, we saw some things where we could connect the dots. And the, the five things that these companies had in common was around first, they were laser focused on their North Star metric. Like focus is the hardest thing in business. So like, all right. Let's build the wait list. Let's get new customers. Let's get retention. Let's get CAC at this level. So first is that North Star metric. The second is they are customer obsessed. Unless you're creating an own, your own category, a lot of times you're entering into a crowded market. So that means you need to do a bottoms up approach and find that early adopter where you speak their exact language and you're better for them than anybody else. So that's second is customer obsessed. The third thing that we're looking at is it's the most overused phrase in marketing, which is data-driven. We think it should be more research-driven because everyone talks about it, but they're not really doing it. To be data-driven, you need to be research-driven where you're like, okay, here are the numbers we need to move. Let's look at the quantitative and qualitative analysis. And all that means is understand what's happening and why it's happening. So we have like 14 different kind of frameworks and exercises we do around research. So so that's, you know, the third thing. If I may, Jim, you, you yeah. got to do the research to determine what's good data and bad data, right? It, exactly. And to give like a very simple example, like you're an e-commerce site and like the question is, what's your conversion rate? Say it's 2%. That means 98% of your site visitors come to your website and they're like, no, thanks. They're not purchasing. So the question you should be asking is Why? So we do the research because with any commerce funnel, it's, it's actually really simple. There's three to seven reasons why they're not converting. It could be trust. It could be value. It could be confusion. It could be urgency. And once you can like really figure out, wow, people don't trust our site or they don't think the quality is there, 
that should drive all your experiments. We were talking about quality and trust. That's something that we do. We, we like trying to simplify like research and demystifying it. It's about answering those questions around your customers. The fourth thing that we have is ROI focused experiments. Because as a founder, your two most precious resources are time and money. We need to use those wisely. So every experiment we do needs to have an impact that you as a business owner are like, awesome, revenue is going up. So we have a pipeline for where every experiment, we have a projection of revenue. And then the final one, it's not sexy at all, but it's the most important thing. And it's an iterative growth process where we're doing weekly uh, experiments because we think the process leads to the progress. If we can build that muscle of always running experiments, the the wins will eventually follow. So if we can do those five things, we feel like we are set up for success in a partnership. Um, as long as a company has product market fit and they have a, a product people actually want. And those are two good qualifiers at the same time. You know, my follow-up is, can a smaller brand, uh, say one on a bit of a tighter budget, run that sort of a, a process without having to, you know, spend thousands of dollars? Yeah, they, they absolutely can. Smaller brands, there's like a pro and con to it, where the pro is to grow by 10 or even 50%, the actual numbers to get there aren't as big as like an eight-figure brand. And so some of the wins you have can be profound and transform your marketing strategy. The big issue, though, is one person or a half person in you and yourself so you really need to focus on, okay, what are the things we're going to do over this time frame to move the needle and almost ignore everything else? Because we've seen companies go from a C, C round of funding to an A round of funding on the back of one channel or one tactic, but you've got to be focused on it. And, you know, with the smaller size, you have a little more freedom of like mobility, if that makes any sense, where you can, you can kind of pivot a little quicker. It, it just takes less moves to kind of like turn the whole ship, if you will. Oh yeah. You don't have to get buy-in from a million stakeholders or whatever, because mm -hmm. it's just you and a few other people in the room. You're like, all right, we're trying short form video content on TikTok this week. Let's go. And speaking of kind of like all those steps that, that it takes is, you know, with growth hit, you doubled your revenue from two years ago and you doubled your staff from last year. And, and it really sounds like you're leading by example when it comes to growing a company. I, I imagine that if people want to trust, you know, using growth hit to grow their business, they got to see you guys growing at the same time. So I, I commend you for that. Did you have any sort of growing pains during that process? And, and if so, how did you deal with them? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So many growing pains. Um, and one thing that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about is how we build in public and the stuff we're doing there. But for our own agency with growing pains, there's this concept called the black hole of businesses. And it's where a lot of companies go to die or where they go to stagnate and not grow at all. And that phase is in one of two categories. When you're between one and $5 million in sales or two, you're over 20 people. So we hit both of those. And the reason why it's such a tough time is you desperately need layers of, of management. Um, you desperately need more process and systems, but you can barely afford it. So if there's any downturn, um, it, it can really flip you upside down. It's funny, we're growth hit. 
we have growth in our name, but the way we grow is in a very cautious manner where we want to have enough cash in the bank. We want to have a strong pipeline before we're, we're over hiring. And so, yeah, we, we definitely had some issues where you're like, hey, do you hire into growth or do you exhaust your staff before and, and hire too late? That, that was one thing. Another is as a CEO, like what tasks should I continue to do versus where do I fire myself and then find someone better than me to do that. And so th- those are tough decisions to to try and try and make and you know people are are the hardest thing to to get. So it's like how can you find these talented people that'll choose you over the million options they have because if they're an A plus player, they've got a lot of options. So yeah, th- those are a, a bunch of different things that we've kind of struggled with as as we try and grow. And I can imagine that, you know, with labor being the highest cost that you want to wear as many hats as possible so you don't have to hire another person, but at some point you're kind of like depreciating your own value when it's taking you twice as long to do this project compared to, or, you know, perform this role when you could be paying someone to do it, who'd be doing it at twice the speed at which you're doing it. Totally. And it's all about as a business owner, you know, there's a, a negative connotation with this I, this idea of lifestyle design. It's like, oh, that means you don't want to grow. You just want to like be working from a beach or like take Fridays off. I'm like, absolutely. I'd love to do that. But it's also the way I think about it is what tasks do you do that give you energy versus the tasks that suck energy out of you? Because the tasks that suck energy out of you, if that's sales or finance and accounting, there's people where it's the opposite and they love it. So you need to be very intentional with like, what do you enjoy to do one and two what are the goals of the business and how aggressive you want to be with growth? And, and that's something that myself and my co-founder, we had to be very intentional in because two years ago, our margins were insanely good, but I was exhausted. I was doing everything. I was sales. I was the janitor. I was leading accounts. And I was like, I, I don't like this. You're, you're building your own prison. So you, you want to be very thoughtful and proactive with, okay, these are the things I like doing and I'm uniquely positioned to do versus, okay, there's people significantly better at you know being the CFO than me. Let, let's find the right person there. I think that's extremely insightful. So you know, switching gears, you're also the co-founder of a, a web design company called One Day Design. Can you give us the, the background on that idea and uh, a little more insight on the business model there? Yeah, it was really spun out of growth hit because our one of our core offer, offerings is conversion rate optimization. And we would get a lot of people that would come to me and I I just would really feel for them and I'd be bummed out because they'd come to me like, Jim, I launched a e-commerce website. I spent 50K. It took five months, two months longer than I wanted. We went live with it and we have zero sales and they've used all their money on it. And I'm just like, man, that I, you almost couldn't help them. So what we did is like, what if we could help people launch a website with essentially in a day um, in a cost-effective way? And so we're obsessed with you know, really good offers, which is a whole nother conversation, like seven minute abs or eight minute abs. I forget what minute we're at, you know, Domino's pizza, you get your pizza for free if it's delivered in over 30 minutes. And so we're like, what if we could take that and combine it with our design skills? So we launched one day design where we can design a web page, landing page for you uh, within 24 hours. We can also do the dev. It's fun because it gets you to that magic moment, whether you have an idea or you have an existing website you did yourself, but you want it to feel like a VC-backed brand, you're like, 
let me, let me test these guys. And so we launched that middle of last year. We've, we've since grown it. We, we, I think we just hit 140,000 in revenue. So we're just getting started, but it's been fun. We've been able to be kind of a default design and dev agency for people. But yeah, that's, uh, that's been super interesting, but it's all because we have the reps of working with different e-commerce clients through the agency and knowing, okay, if they just want a good web page that converts, we can do that. Have you found like the crossover in terms of people who are working with growth hit and then they find out that you run this other company and they're like, oh, I also need my webpage designed or, or vice versa, where people just want their webpage designed and then they're like, oh, you could actually help me grow my brand at the same time. Have you found a lot of crossover that way? Yeah, we've also put ourselves out of business a little bit with Growth Hit, where I'll be talking to them and I believe that Growth Hit's like a premium agency doing CRO and then um and I'll just be kind of like, oh, we have one day design. They're like, actually, I just need that. So we go from having like a big retainer to to doing that. But to be honest, it's all about playing the long game. But what's nice is it's all the same persona that we're talking to. It's just at different phases of their growth journey. Like one day design can help them in the early days or can help them if they just need design or dev help. But if you're like really looking to scale, then the growth team could help. Because it's all about, you know, how can we help this founder, this this brand along their, their growth journey? Do you find it? I guess the word difficult to kind of like upsell people when, when it comes to, because, you know, growth hit offers a bunch of different services, but if someone's just coming to do this one thing, they kind of know the game. They're, they're also e-commerce people and know that you're going to try to, I don't know, give them as many services and opportunities to use your services as possible. Have you found that kind of a difficult path to navigate in terms of, I don't know, it's like a car salesman talking to another car salesman, you know? Yeah, I, I think when the, like, we'll know, like, based off someone's revenue, if they should even, or their how much they've raised from a funding perspective, if they should even work with growth hit, a lot of times we'll be like, yeah. don't hire us yet. It's it's too soon. Mm-hmm. We might be able to help you just with like one key service if it's launching social ads or the website. And then we we would downsell to growth it. But then if they're at a point where they have enough money or have raised, then we're like, okay, are you going to grow with an internal team or an external team? And then it's a little bit more authentic because I I mean, I feel like most of the time I spend is in sales, but I, I still have a little bit of a, a love-hate relationship with it where I feel like if you can just be honest and transparent, like, hey, you do you should be thinking about an option like this or, hey, you're not ready or this might not be the best option because we do a lot of things from ads and email to CRO, but there's also things that we don't do where we'll be very honest, like, hey, we don't do SEO or PR or affiliate marketing or, hey, we just launched TikTok ads six to nine months ago, but somebody else has been is the best. Look at them before us. So I think if you can lead with that, you earn a lot more trust whenever you're trying to like upsell, cross-sell or, or downsell. I think that's extremely valuable. You know, I, I have a friend who's one of the best salesmen I've ever met in my entire life. And and his thing is all about creating that relationship or that bond that has no sort of financial benefit. You know what I'm saying? Where where uh, someone he's selling to isn't afraid to like call him to help him like jumpstart his car or something where, where it, the benefit is more foundational of like, how can I help you? 
versus like, how can I get money from you? You know, totally. And I, I think that's a great approach is because you're playing the long game, which is smart. Absolutely. So, you know, only nine months in to the life cycle of one design, how have you grown and do you consider its growth better or worse than you expected? Yeah. With, with one day design, we have grown just, we have our own email list and we have a podcast. If I was starting today where we were, we, I'm a big fan of building in public. We, we have the, the three, million dollar challenge where if we're such a good growth agency, can we grow our own stuff? So with one day design, we publish the financials, we publish what we're doing. And so like, like most business owners, I'm very impatient and I have much bigger goals and aspirations for it. I, I mean, I'm very happy and proud that we've hit six figures, but I wish I had more time in the day to dedicate to it. So what, what has been a success for us is We've gotten business naturally from growth hit where we can downsell growth hit. The second is by building in public where we post on LinkedIn, Twitter, indie hackers, um, talking on podcasts, talking about it. We've recently just spun up Google ads, which can be a little bit of a knife fight in the design and dev space, but we're trying to play with some low volume but high intent search queries. Um, and then we're about to launch um, more of a content marketing strategy where we're leading with our product, where we're showcasing like before and afters of designs that were done. But as we as we make more money from it, I'm trying to take the profits from that to pour in, into growth. Just to double back, what, what exactly is the $3 million challenge? Yeah. So um, our goal as an agency isn't to be some thousand person agency that that actually sounds quite miserable of, of like the people management space our our goal is to always have a rock star growth team but eventually every company we're working on is a company we own or we're uh, a joint venture in and so essentially having a startup studio model so to kick off this idea of a startup studio we we launched a three million dollar challenge we're like all right if we're such a good growth team let's try and grow our own companies. So we did the agency. We, we've obviously launched growth at to, to over seven figures. We have one day design where we're trying to get that to seven figures. We're launching our own e-commerce brand called Handsome Chaos that we'll be launching in a month and a half that we're looking to get to seven figures. And so every month we talk about what we're doing, what worked, what epically failed and what you know what we're thinking through along the way and so that that's been really fun and the i feel like the teams kind of rallied around that cuz what's cool about having your own brands is it's your kind of playground to test all the different things you'd maybe want to do with a client but you don't want to do it with their money or without their buy-in so um that that that's been pretty fun you can be a little bit more dangerous if you will you know where 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 you can take big risks and not have to look someone in the face and be like you know, feel kind of guilty about it. Yeah, exactly. Like we're, we're uh, working on this. We're going to do this really big giveaway for one day design called the startup giveaway, where we have a bunch of half-baked startup ideas that we're actually going to launch as websites and just give them to people um, and be like, take it and run with it just to kind of prove like, hey, we can design and dev stuff really quickly. But, um, and that could be a horrible idea. We could be wasting a lot of money on dev and design, or it could be something that that puts us on the map. But my, my goal is, and for a lot of you know, e-commerce companies listening to this, as I look at the most impressive teams or founders, they're the ones that make noise on a regular basis. Like, all right, it's February. What are we doing 
to be in the headlines or to get the attention of people, whether it's scalable things or non-scalable things. So we're trying to kind of drink our own Kool-Aid of the the advice we give by by making noise ourselves with different tactics or ideas. I think posting your financials is pretty transparent too. I like the idea of doing your business in public. I think there's a lot of value there. So, you know, I've been told that that good goals have to be SMART, you know, the acronym specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. In my opinion, the most difficult parameter in that stack is realistic because if I'm achieving all of my goals, then maybe I'm setting the bar too low. And if not, then maybe I'm setting the bar too high. So how did you set realistic goals for your $3 million challenge? And and how can another company do something similar? Oh, man, that is such a good question. Um, We obviously just chose the million dollar number because it's a really fun milestone to hit. And as far as how we get there, whenever we're setting goals, it's definitely good to have the 1 million number that people can rally around, but it's a little bit more of a vanity metric. The metrics that really matter are the ones around inputs. And so we've really kind of figured out, okay, with one day design, the average price is $12.99 a month, or it could be five grand per month based on on an average order value. How much business do we need each month? Okay. So how many like leads based on a close rate, how many meetings booked? So we start setting KPIs with this bottoms up approach. So we know exactly, okay, how much traffic, how many leads we need to hopefully hit that goal. And then the other big thing is you can't have more than one person own it or nobody owns it. So trying to give every person in the company one number that they own. Uh, Peter Thiel had this idea where he would take the smartest people and he would have them own one number, but then nothing else. And everybody knew what that number was. So if you bump them in, into the hallways, you you know what they were focused on. And if you can have really smart people all focused on these one things that kind of roll up to that kind of smart goal that you're talking about the impact can be huge. So that's something we're, we're trying to pull off as well. Now that's cool. Cool advice from Peter Thiel or, or you know, a good a sound concept, if you will. I've also noticed kind of a running theme in terms of both of both of these businesses, Growth Hit and One Design is it seems like you value speed. So, you know, One Day Design is just that you know it, it's it's essentially we will give you a web page in 24 hours you even offer like a refund money back guarantee on your website that if it's not in one day it's not a one day design and i, I kind of see something similar with growth hit is that you like to put teams of people on you you definitely value having a team of people working on a project compared to one person so people can start to grow as quick as possible is that something you found from your personal experience, the, the value of speed, or is that something I'm, I'm over-reading? Yeah, no, it's, it's everything. We, and we see it, if we've learned anything from the rise of Amazon, it's, it's the power of speed with next day delivery has transformed how e-commerce companies even operate. Mm-hmm. And people will pay more money for speed rather than waiting to pay less. And in most cases, the other thing that we found is when you're launching something, if you really want to win over an early adopter to become an evangelist, you need to wow them. You need to delight them. And it's creating that magical moment. So how do you create a magical moment? It's through um, time, money, or experience. So if you can over-deliver deliver something and do it extremely fast, or just like, wow, this, this is insane. And so one thing, whenever we were looking at the a growth hit and making a productized service like one day design, 
we try to look at what are our strengths. Okay, we know we're good at design and development. We're actually really good at process and systems. By the way, there's a lot of things we're bad at. We can't build software and do a lot of other things. But we, we kind of took the things we're strong at, and then we paired that with, there's a really cool formula from Alex Hermosi on this irresistible offer around like your dream state, likelihood of success, time delay gratification, ease or sacrifice to pull it off. And with those four things in mind, we came up with this concept for one day design. And we're not the best at naming things. So we're like, oh, we'll just put the offer in the name, one day design. But it, but it's been helpful because it makes it somewhat memorable. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely sells itself in, in that regard. I love the name because... I was like, oh, that, that, that's that's all right. And then I looked into it and was like, oh, no, it's it's telling me everything that it is. I mean, honestly, like on paper, Best Buy isn't the best name. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, <laughs> we're the best. You know, I I, I think there there's kind of like a, a bit of elegance in the simplicity there, you know? Right. I, it's so funny. It's like I go back and forth like. Sometimes names do matter and sometimes they don't matter. Like Google, Lululemon, like what do those even mean? You're but totally then, right. Yeah. But then micro acquire, just acquire, just got the domain name acquire.com. The value of that is insane. Like having diapers.com. Um, if you can own like the mind space and the actual name of a category, then it's it's next level. So it, it totally depends. You can argue for and against it, but there's there's times where it really pays off. And kind of speaking of naming, you also did kind of like a rebrand last year. Is that correct? Where you kind of redesigned your website? Was that kind of like a big overhaul for, for Growth Hit? What was kind of the process there like? Yeah. So it's funny when we launched Growth Hit, like people went to the Wayback Machine. Our first website was so ugly. It was all my fault. And then I think in like 2018, 19, we were starting to work with some legit clients and our website did not reflect it. And people would even come to our website like, wait, are you guys a legit agency? I was like, all right, that's it. We've got to like really have our stuff be reflected. And so we made that investment at the time, which was significant for us. And it, it really moved the needle on how we could talk to clients and our close rate. But even then, where it's like 2022, 2023, I'm like, we need to do that again. We need to do this on a three-year cadence. And there are so much more that we're doing and wanting to offer. And what's nice is our, our design skills and team are even better now. So we did it all in-house. I was probably a very high-maintenance client as I kind of managed it, but it's it's been pretty fun. And again, with the, in the spirit of making noise, after we did it, we like made a bunch of noise around it because we launched a new different products and services around it. So um, th- th- that was kind of fun, you know, make some noise with the new website. Is that advice you would give to other people is about every three years? Why every three years? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends. I mean, an example, uh, a case against that is Amazon.com. They've never really had to do a, a, a rebrand or an update. And the reason for that is impressive. It's because... Amazon and even Google are the absolute best at A-B testing, and they are always optimizing. So if your site's always optimized, you don't have to do some extreme rebrand or or design. And so if you want to be innovative, if you want to be cutting edge, you want your kind of external marketing assets to reflect that. So it's something that you want to think through. But it's funny, sometimes people will do big rebrands or designs, redesigns, and then their conversion rate will drop oh, no. because they didn't realize the lightning in a bottle they had with an additional uh, initial designer setup. So you always want to be cautious of that. But yeah, I, I think you know three to four years at a minimum is what you'd want to be thinking through. I think that some people overcomplicate it where where their website is full of all of this 
knowledge and information. It's like they want to dump their entire brain onto this web page so other people can have, you know, more knowledge is more power. And that shows them that I'm more experienced when from, from you know, a, a user's perspective, I want like as little as possible. If you can show me that you can really concisely articulate what you could do for me in a, in a really elegant way, that is much more impactful to someone like me. And I think a lot of e-commerce people would agree because time is money. I, I don't want to have to go through 20 different web pages to figure out how long you've been in business, you know? Exactly. And especially with e-commerce companies listening, you know, there's this idea of an attention ratio where you land on your website, ask yourself how many buttons or call to actions do you have where you're directing people what to do? Because the site could look beautiful, but if you're overwhelming them with like, oh, take this quiz, subscribe here. Oh, here's our flagship product. Oh, did you see our latest blog post? Oh, and here's the sale. You're like, uh, I don't know what to do. Like some of my favorite sites are really flat and focused in their funnel where it's like, hey, take this quiz to get a personalized product for you. Similar to what Third Love is doing with their Fit Finder quiz to take down Victoria's Secret for, for bras and undergarments. Or if you have you know 200 plus SKUs on your website, maybe it's about having a really slick navigation and user experience so power shoppers can get in and out of things. Or if you're doing fast fashion or doing lots of drops, you need to hold someone's hand and tell them what's cool with like, hey, here's what's new. Here's what's trending. Here's what's best sellers. Or even like you could be like Spanx where they got to be an eight-figure brand on the back of one SKU. So you're always making something old filled new as you're introducing a category like shapewear. So it's, it's cool to have pretty designs, but you've got to know the end goal of, okay, what do people need to know to make a buying decision? And how do we remove everything else that's in the way of that? to push them down that path. I think that's spot on. So keep it on the advice train. What, what would you consider to be the most undervalued when people think about growing a business? Yeah, it's funny. There's um, there's this guy, Will Hughes, who has a framework around Liquid Mind. And he loves this idea of looking at the same things everybody looks at, but think of it differently. And he has this framework of, what are you looking at that people overvalue versus things that people undervalue? So and the obvious example is Moneyball, where people overvalue the 6'2 home run hitter. They'll overpay for that person, but they're undervaluing the 5'10 guy that can't hit home runs, but always gets on base. And so, you know, if you can find those discrepancies as a frugal business owner, those can start to compound. So how do you take that framework and apply it to e-commerce? So he did the same study. He looked at some of the top performing brands, got into their P&L, profit loss statement. And he saw that, man, people would overpay for these premium like ad firms and ad agencies. But really what they were undervaluing and what they weren't paying the most for was phenomenal copywriting, right? Phenomenal websites that convert. For me, I'm always baffled when people will just quickly throw 10 grand at the ad manager, but then they won't invest in really good copy or design on their website where, because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Are you making transactions or not? And that's why as an agency, we, we kind of overemphasize conversion rate optimization. Because if you have a funnel that is a conversion machine it makes you look like a genius across all the other channels. Because I hate it when I see people grow 
too soon when their website isn't ready for it. So that's something that we're, if, if we could like focus on and make everybody like look at it our way, it'd be their undervaluing copy, undervaluing design. And even a step further, when I think copy, it's through that exact offer framework, because there's a lot of cool brands and cool websites that have not cool conversion rates because they don't understand CRO and they don't understand how to come up with an irresistible offer. When I say offer, think of the last time you were on a website and they had like an offer so good, you were busy, you're on your phone, be like, okay, I have to sign up for this. I can't let this go away. Whether it's like, when I say offer, it's not like, oh, 20% off, but it's, you're reading like, okay, they have risk reversal. There's you know, a free product with this. There's, you know, a free product with subscription. I think really lucrative refer friends are pretty good too. Oh yeah. I mean, brands like Harry's and Girlfriend Collective launched on the back of those referral mechanisms. And I don't think there's enough innovation there. Um, and I, I think that's something people uh, could, could really, if, if they focus all their energy on that, rather than just throwing money at, at Facebook ads or TikTok ads, the, the results would be transformative. I think you're totally right. I mean, when when these companies are putting, because that's that's what a lot of them do, you know, is they put a lot of money on on the ad spend instead of like creating a deliverable product or service that is as digestible and understandable as possible. It's like putting icing on a cake that isn't fully baked yet. You know, I think there's a lot of value in in what you're saying there. So you also mentioned a a third company during this conversation, which hasn't launched yet. I think that was called Handsome Chaos. Can you tell us a bit about that one? Yeah, absolutely. So Handsome Chaos is our uh, direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand. And so what it is, it's men's dry shampoo in pomade form. So I have a little bit longer hair. Um, I don't like using natural gels or pomades. It makes it super oily. And so I was stealing my wife's dry shampoo, which is like this powder you put in your hair. It looks like powdered sugar and make it dry. But I was like, this isn't working. This has to be something easier for a dumb guy like me. I was like, let's just try and make this. So it took like freaking 14 months, but we finally made something that I use every day. That's been awesome. But I was like, is there anybody else that would even want this? So the process we did to validate the idea we ran a quiz uh, using, uh, shoot, I forget the, the service we use. I wrote a blog post about it. We spoke to a thousand guys and we asked them like, you know, one, is this a problem? And two, would you potentially switch to a product that would solve this? And over 70% were like, yes. And so we're like, all right, this is interesting enough to keep doing. We then feedback. made a fake web. Yeah, we then made a fake website and ads where we tried to pre-sell it. Um, We were able to pre-sell a product that didn't exist to 50 people. We then canceled the campaign. Uh, We built up a wait list of a thousand people. Um, And so now we're, we're, um, we've, we finalized the formula. We're now about to make our first order. And then hopefully we'll have all the ingredients ready to go in like a month and a half. We're, We're our first order run is about a thousand products and we're going to see if we can sell out of it pretty quickly to then buy another one. But yeah, it's, it's been super fun just because we work with so many e-commerce companies. We have this like kind of playbook that, that we want to do. And so we'll be able to do it on our own brand and share it all in public. But the, as you can see, we're strong at some things and weak at others. We're very weak at actually manufacturing <laughs> products, which is why it's taking so long. Well, I mean, it's, so, yeah. that's really cool that you get the opportunity to kind of put your money where your mouth is a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it could all fail and we look like idiots, but um, but yeah, it's um, it's fun just to show what we do. But at the same time, if you do, it's because you get to you get to do risky, dangerous, 
kind of ideas and maneuvers and say, look, it failed because, you know, I figured out you can't do this with a pomade product or you can't do this in general, you know, and, you know, innovation requires people getting out of their comfort zone and being able to be in, I don't know, kind of like a, a hermetically sealed chamber of, of this idea that's solely yours, that you're totally any sort of finances is your fault and your responsibility and, and you're willing to, I don't know, really, really take some risks to try to innovate and propel the entire industry forward, I think is really cool. Yeah. And there's also a thought of, you know, I'm a big fan of like what you're doing can be the byproduct for something else. And so we we want to launch the startup studio. And then the byproduct of that is it can be great content marketing to put stuff out there to build awareness for the agency and the startup studio. So it's, you know, kind of like two birds, one stone type of thing where you can you know, have the byproduct of it be be the content marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So you also mentioned your own podcast called If I Was Starting Today, which actually crossed yeah. the uh, the hundred episode threshold last year. So congratulations there. Yeah, you, you know you know how that goes. But I yeah, do um, from one podcast to another. What have you enjoyed? You know the most about it. It's been super fun doing If I Was Starting Today, just because. I think we all, well, at least I naturally am not good at networking. I even hate that word, but re- I like building relationships and it, it forces you to meet new people. And it's a great platform to be able to meet someone new and go really deep and not just have a surface level conversation. So that's been really exciting. I think as we're like making content, like what can we do that's uniquely our own? The only thing that's uniquely our own is stuff that you're working on. So it's a way to show like how we're building in public and things like that. And so I'm I'm a podcast junkie. I love listening to podcasts. So it's fun to be participating in the space as well. Me too. I I, I love listening to them. I, I hate listening to myself, but I love listening to them in general. <laughs> Same here. So uh, is that something that is totally like a hobby? It sounds like that's kind of your version of networking. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely like part of growth hit as we we share stuff out. We, we don't like really bring up too much or sell too much, but it's it's something that, you know, that and we're getting more into YouTube and short form video content as far as playing the long mm-hmm. game. We're, we're very bullish on, on those two uh, platforms. So the last question that I always ask people is, is a set, but a little different for you because you're running, you know, three companies and you're also a, a marketing instructor, a, a startup mentor, a, a board member, and a dad. I imagine it can be stressful, which requires hobbies and interests, maybe like podcasting to take your mind off of the e-commerce world for a little bit. What do you do in your free time? How do you find free time in an industry that feels like it constantly needs your attention? Oh man, really good question. I because. Yeah, you've got to like have good sleep, good health. If not, it's a bad domino effect if those things don't work. And so for me, like finding free time, it's it's definitely a a structured setup that I have with my wife where it's like, okay, we can, you can work out at this like 30 minute interval, then I can work out at this 30 minute interval. For me, like what I like to do in my free time, I mean, really, it's like I, I do enjoy working out just because you feel so good after I don't actually like the work of the act of working out. I like how I feel afterwards. And so I, I, I do that quite a bit. And then I used to be able to play like sports and do a lot of that. But with with two active kids, 
it's just trying to be a super dad on the weekends as far as like activities with them. I was like coaching a basketball team. I was in ballet, but it's oh, like cool. whatever they're down to do, I'm I, I'm I'm in. But trying to have a break from stuff is is hard because I as we, I work from home most of the time, it's hard to shut it off. So the good thing about kids, it's a forcing function to shut it off because I've got to be out the door at five seventeen, the latest to go pick them up, and they don't care how the day went or not. It's like, where is my PB and J without crust? And maybe like we can hang out, you know, working out and, and, and dadding is kind of the main thing. If, if I can get out and ski a little bit more out here in, in Washington, that'd be nice too. And I'll tell you kids, kids tell it how it is too. So if they <laughs> think you've been on the phone for too long, they'll tell you. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, and I was looking at my phone way too much around kids. I still do, but trying to just be aware of that because you, you want to be present, but it, it can be hard sometimes. No, absolutely. So anything you'd like to plug before we head out, Jim? No, man, this has been an absolute blast, Alex. I mean, got the podcast if I was starting today. And then I'm just Jim at growthhit.com. If people want to talk about growth hit or one day design, always happy, happy to help. Awesome. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Jim. I, I really appreciate your time. Hopefully I'll come on if I was starting today. Maybe we can meet on the other side of the river a little bit. Yeah, that'd be a blast, man. Kind of a home and away. So yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Jim, it's been a blast. Until next time, my friend. Cool. Thank you, Alex. I'd like to thank my guest, Jim Huffman, for joining me on the show. And tune in next week when I talk with Nora Shopper, the president and co-founder of Highbar, about how she's successfully run her e-commerce brands for over 28 years and counting. For more information about Jim, you can connect with him on LinkedIn, follow him on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman, and check out his website, jimwhuffman.com. You can also purchase his book, The Growth Marketer's Playbook, or listen to his podcast, If I Was Starting Today, wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about his brands, you can find them at Growth hit.com one day dot design and handsomechaos.com that's our show thanks for tuning in and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every tuesday until next time